May I have the envelope, please? May I have the envelope, please? The best picture of the year is... The best picture of the year. The best picture of the year. I am happy to announce that the winner is... The winner is... And the winner... The winner is... The winner is... Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Envelope Podcast. Here on The Envelope, we will be discussing and reviewing every Best Picture winner in the Academy Awards history. Today we are discussing the second Best Picture winner, The Broadway Melody. My name is Nicole Mumi, and joining me today are two of my favorite people to discuss films with, Sean and Sky Waffen. Hi! Hello! Before we get to our film this week, let's chat briefly about the history of the second Academy Awards. The second Academy Awards ceremony, presented by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, honored the best films released between August 1st, 1928 and July 31st, 1929. They took place on April 3rd, 1930 at an awards banquet in the Coconut Grove of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. We'll discuss it further next week when we discuss the third Academy Awards, but 1930 was the only calendar year in which two award ceremonies were held. Radio coverage began with this ceremony, with a local broadcast by KNX Los Angeles. The second ceremony included a number of changes over the first. Most importantly, it was the first presentation for which the winners were not announced in advance. Additionally, the number of categories was reduced from 12 to 7, and the categories were Outstanding Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Writing, Best Art Direction, and Best Cinematography. The statuette depicts a knight holding a crusader's sword, standing on a reel of film with five spokes. The five spokes represent the original branches of the Academy, actors, writers, directors, technicians, and producers. That is how we will break down our reviews of the Best Pictures winners. The winning picture we will be discussing today is The Broadway Melody, which won over Alibi, In Old Arizona, The Hollywood Review of 1929, and The Patriot. The Broadway melody follows the Mahoney sisters, Hank and Queenie, a vaudeville act, come to Broadway where Eddie Kearns wants them for his new number in one of Francis Zanfield's shows. Eddie is engaged to Hank, but upon seeing Queenie for the first time after many years, he falls in love with her. Queenie recognizes she is in love with Eddie, but doesn't want to hurt her sister. In an effort to dissuade Eddie's advances, Queenie allows Jock Warner, a member of the New York High Society, to court her. Eventually, Hank recognizes the love between her sister and Eddie and tells Eddie she never really loved him anyway and he should go get Queenie. Queenie rejects Jock and leaves her birthday party and the new apartment he bought her with Eddie. The two marry and upon returning from their honeymoon, Hank heads out on the road with a new act happy for her sister and Eddie. Written by Norman Houston and James Gleason from a story by Edmund Goulding and directed by Harry Beaumont, the film stars Anita Page as Queenie Mahoney, Bessie Love as Harriet Hank Mahoney, Charles King as Eddie Kearns, and Kenneth Thompson as Jock Warner. Bessie Love was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actress for her performance, and Harry Beaumont was nominated for Best Director. What do you guys think of the acting in this movie? First spoke, Bessie Love. Do you think she, she should have gotten the Best Actress for her performance? Do you think she was good? She's the best part of the movie. Her acting, for sure. Her acting, yes. Her acting, <laughs> yes. To be clear, because we'll that's what we're discussing story. here. <laughs> if I'm putting a lid on some emotional feelings that we will be getting to. But um, she was great. I yeah, think. I think she was great. I, I, It's hard to know because I haven't seen the other ones as to whether or not she should have beat someone else. But yeah. also the academies at this time were 
basically voted on by a very select number of people and it was pretty much a popularity contest. So who knows if she really got just desserts, you know? I will say her her acting as far as like the delivering of dialogue. Which I'm sure we'll get into more, but some of the song and dance numbers, those are not great. Yeah. In my opinion. (laughs) So her skills were better as far as like a dramatic performance, I would say, but as far as you know, and even as a comedian, like I feel like her her performance skills were good, but her singing and dancing capabilities were maybe not totally up to snuff. Agreed. Yeah, I like the main three actors. I thought they each did a solid job. Charles, Anita, and Bessie. Um, they all did great. Mr. Zanfield, I thought was freaking terrible. I hated that. Mm-hmm. Just the actor and the way he presented everything. Because I feel like he didn't nail the comedic tone of he had those people that were like always following him around. Yeah. Saying, like, yes, sir. He didn't seem to match what I think the comedy that they were supposed to be going for, so mm-hmm. I didn't like him. Uncle Jet's stutter was all over the place. Yeah. Sometimes he had a stutter, and he overdid it. Other times, there were entire scenes where he didn't have a stutter. And I'm like, did they shoot that and then later tell him he had a stutter? <laughs> because it was, like, so bizarre. And yeah. It was unnecessary. The yeah, stutter I didn't was... Get... Well, I think it was supposed to be comedy, and mm-hmm. it was because... We in our it, this the one overarching thing I will say about this movie is in my modern 2018 lens it was very hard to watch for very many reasons. One of <laughs> one of which was which we talked about last week in our episode on Wings is that comedy is so time specific yes. and like this type of comedy doesn't necessarily resonate with a 2018 audience so that stuttery thing is like not necessarily as funny as we would like to us but probably to an audience modern to the time it was hilarious you know because it's not really situational comedy right. in the true yeah. definition of it it's really poking fun it's just literally he has a stutter. Yeah, it's like offensive humor now. What we would be yeah. viewed as like offending using something that somebody, someone's disability. Exactly. They also use a little bit of comedy, kind of, but there's some throwbacks to some like the costume guy who's mm-hmm. clearly the homosexual in the yeah. movie. There's a jab yeah. at that. Yeah, and it's not. I mean, it's not funny in 2018. Right. The like, what is she? She's like a fucking dominating taskmaster or something. She's like, oversees all the women and she's like, oh yeah, well you'd do it in lavender or something. And it's like, and? Yeah. (laughs) You know? (laughs) That's when you're saying, watching this from a 2018 lens, you're like, that's not funny now. And I really hate that it was funny back then. (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) Totally. So it's... And then, I mean, Anita Pate, it's, watching this movie, and again, it's kind of a general commentary, is like, it, it was amazing. Singing in the Rain is like one of my all time favorite musicals. And it is amazing how much that movie is influenced by this movie. I always knew it was, but I did not realize how much. I mean, Direct songs. Queenie right. is basically the like lead character of Singing in the Rain, the the main actress, Lita Lamont, but like Queenie's a better person than well, arguably, but whatever. She's a nice person versus Lena Lamont's kind of a terrible person in Singing in the Rain. It's just amazing like the parallels and like how even the people cast were like super similar it's nuts and there's like there's the whole whatever i'll talk about it when we get into the production but there's it's amazing (laughs) but the the acting was i I mean i found i believe i read somewhere that like anita page was considered like at this time now it's it's interesting moving from when we talked about wings in our last episode to this one because you have clara bow but apparently anita page was like considered a great beauty. Yeah. Huh. And as her, the, as the character Queenie is represented, 
which in the standards of beauty have flexed over time too. So you're almost like, I still wish that was the standard of beauty because right. it's a normal looking woman and her body is normal and, oh, yeah. you know. She was referred to, quote, as the blonde, blue-eyed Latin. Yes. So, which doesn't <laughs> translate in black and white film, by the way. <laughs> so I found that actually interesting because yeah. they really cast this woman because she was known as this beautiful thing. I didn't think her acting skills were anywhere near as strong as um, Bessie Loves. Agreed. Her character is is really one note, too, so there really didn't require as much acting. But the things that probably got her cast, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed, aren't translating to the viewer today or then right. so it's so it all so that character fell flat for me in many regards because of that it's almost the same idea as we talked about last week with Clara Bow like they I'm sure she was an MGM contract player I'm sure and so they cast the beautiful blonde that they had on their roster in this movie to be like a draw because also she support, purportedly at one point received the most fan mail on the MGM lot so she was massively important yes massively important and popular and all those things so I'm sure they were like well we'll cast we need the blonde eyed blonde haired blue eyed ditzy sister and she's our girl so here she goes and like it's not the same where they were forcing her in like forced a character into the script but I'm sure it was the same idea of like but this is going to be part of the draw of the movie is we have this this particular actress you know which is funny because like the stuff that Clara Bow was made of has translated into history. Yeah. And we talk about... I, I'd never heard of Anita Page until... No, me either. This movie. And I consider myself uh. a fan of old movies. Mm-hmm. Not this old movie, mm-hmm. I will say. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I will say, I should say, as we continue in this discussion, too, I love musicals. Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of musicals. I've always loved musicals. But yeah, as we've talked about the women in this movie and stuff I feel like I don't know if it's an acting choice or if it was a director's choice that the men were so creepy and pushy and rapey and they talked so close that it really <laughs> made me uncomfortable I have a personal true I have a personal space bubble that I like to keep around myself and I don't like people to penetrate my pen- my personal bubble um, but they talked so close to Good each to other know. I'll stop close especially <laughs> I mean it's just it drove me crazy but I don't know if that was the director like I really want to get close up on this because I mean the guys would grab the women and just talk real close and it just I don't know, I felt so uncomfortable for all the women in this movie, but I don't know if that was a director's choice or if that was the actors just choosing that that's what they wanted to do. Um, but besides that, there was a woman who tap danced in ballet shoes that I thought was incredible. Yeah. That she did such yeah. an amazing job, and that scene on the stage was the only stage scene that I liked. I agree with you. That was the only scene that I really liked, the tap dancing in the ballet scene. Yeah. It was really impressive. All the other dance sequences and the vaudeville and the numbers... They were all off. The choreography was not timed well. No. So I, did they just get pretty girls and they're like, dance and do this. Like, <laughs> I didn't under, you know, it's like. Yeah, you can tell they didn't really rehearse and yeah, orchestrate no, anything. No, they were off. At one point I was like, she missed it. Yeah. <laughs> no, they were bad. Yeah. Also the idea that there, there's that scene. So Queenie and Hank are going to do the number with Eddie and then they cut that piece because it's too much and too long or whatever. And then the girl faints on stage the naked girl faints on stage so then queenie becomes the it girl because she's blonde and will stand up there naked like it's so yeah. weird the whole thing was fucking weird well that'll yeah. take us into writing yeah so now we can get into okay acting aside which we all agree was pretty good you know yeah. there were some parts that weren't great and some weird choices by the men but okay writing as a story what did you think of the story of this movie 
fuck this story. <laughs> Completely. Like, the, the whole thing. Like, the whole thing. Like, I was so excited from the opening number where we saw Broadway. Yeah. I was like, I'm gonna love this. Like, hunkered down. I was so excited for this movie. And, like, the minute it starts with the smart sister and the dumb pretty one. And, like, it just flushes through so many again. I don't enjoy this now, and I'm sad people enjoyed it then. Of just like the smart, not as pretty sister doesn't get what she wants, and the beautiful, not as smart sister, she wins out all the happiness in the end. Yeah. Like all and, the men wanted her, and nobody wanted the other sister. Right. Nobody wanted. No Hank one the wants smart the brain. smart, tough one because she's too much work. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. From the beginning, when they like didn't, it's like. And the minute he's like, oh, I haven't seen you since you were little to the pretty sister, when Eddie meets Queenie, or is reintroduced to her, and I literally think, if he starts liking that sister, (laughs) I hate this movie. And that's how it ends. <laughs> like, and that is the story, and that is the writer's fault. I will say to the writer's credit, question mark? Yeah. Queenie actually is a character with conflict. She doesn't want yeah. Eddie to be in love with her. She tries to stave off his advances. She doesn't want to be in love with him. She wants to she wants to protect the relationship she has with her sister and is doing everything she knows how to do to do that. Yeah, because that guy Jacques or Jacques or whatever it is that ends up liking her. She doesn't like him and want, doesn't want to be with him and only ends up hanging out with him because Eddie's, like, she's keeps trying going to avoid Eddie. And, yeah. yeah. And she's trying to, like, as kindly as she can for the era, I guess, uh, protect Hank's feelings. That's true. Like, I, I think she's... those moments. I think she is <laughs> my trying... Uh, believe me, I hate this fucking <laughs> But I think that there is... In terms of the writing specifically, I do think in the character of Queenie specifically, there is a, an arc to that where she tries and tries and tries not to be in love with him and to protect her sister and all those things. And then very poorly handled, she eventually gives into her own love of him. As uh, Which you never even buy it. No. Like, you never no. buy, where does the bridge come yes. for her? Like, when she, when you finally see the scene, like, three quarters of the way through the movie, where she finally, like, Eddie keeps the advances going, and she's finally gonna, like, relent, is at her birthday party when Eddie gets beat up. Yes. And it's like, that was it? Yeah. Well, right was... before that, she has the big outburst in the dressing room, which is essentially, like, the moment of her being like, I just can't do this anymore, and so I'm, I'm just going to go throw myself at the guy who's throwing all his money at me. And, I mean, they don't... I guess they don't need to spell it out, but she's clearly going to be the kept woman for Jock Warner. He's buying her an apartment, he's getting her all her fancy clothes and her diamonds and blah, 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 and more than once he makes the insinuation that she owes him something as a result of all of it. Because Hank a few times is like, that's not the type of man who marries you. He's not going to marry you. He's not going to love you, you know. Because Queenie is only pushing into him because she's trying to push away from from Eddie. So, uh, to protect Hank. And Hank, what really bothers me, to flip this whole thing on the writing, is Hank... The character they set up of Hank is not stupid enough to not realize what's going on with Eddie. Agreed. Poor writing. I couldn't stand Hank. I think that's what (laughs) Sky was talking about. She was so damn controlling. She had to control everything. And the way that she, like, was controlling her sister to be like, no, we're going to do this together. And it was like, 
it felt like she was trying to control her sister, trying to control Eddie, and kept trying to control everything. And it wasn't until the end where she let go of that control that she ends up saying, like, I didn't love you anyway, and just lies to Eddie because she can't control what's happening in her life, so she lets go of them. And I feel like that's the time that she finally lets go of control. But then in the end, when she lets go, she ends up, like, supporting her ex-fiance, dating her sister, and marrying them, and is fine with it. I didn't buy that shit at oh, all. Oh, see, that I actually, like... because I was thinking about it in a historical context, like, two women from the West Coast, without a man with them, in the 1920s, you'd have to be strong to even be viewed. Like, there'd have yeah. to be that kind of a woman that's not the appealing, alluring woman to be the quote-unquote brains of that operation. So I I actually like the way, that's interesting, I like the way that Hank was written and it sucks because the only way those two could survive or, or be in New York was probably based off her wits and her management skills. So yeah, so I didn't. I guess I didn't view it as controlling. It seemed like she had to rise to this occasion. Somebody had to be that for them to well, be there. Well, technically Uncle Jed is their manager. That's true. Not but Hank. not really. But because he, he's so stupid. I mean, he, he correct. He really is. But he's so bumbling and dumb that that's why I think she had to be that character and that whole. And it's it's yeah. It's it's a flaw. It's I mean, it's a flaw in that, a woman in that era, <laughs> right? That's for sure. Well, and there's the. I mean, it's funny because Eddie says, "Oh, I'm bringing out the Mahoney sisters, and they're going to be in my new act." So it's supposed to imply that a lot of people on the circuit know who they are. But then when you meet them, Hank's like, we really got to make this work because this is our big break because we can't go back out on the road in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. While Queenie's like, no, we're we're good out there. Like, let's just stay out there. And Hank's like, no, no, this is our big break in New York. This is how we get here. But they're only brought there because it's like, it's this weird thing where like, why did Eddie need to be her fiance at all? Well, that's where I thought the writing was poor from the beginning. It was the writing that killed me before I even got into knowing how terribly the movie was going to end. Um... Was that? Why would? I mean, you, you, there's backstory that you kind of have to fill in, but like, okay, I'll just say that they're engaged, so you can forward your story, writers. Yeah, like, they're that's engaged, but he felt. hasn't seen Queenie in years. years. So yes. how often did Eddie see, see Hank? Them? Yeah, that they're engaged. Well, that was. Here's the thing, and this is where I go back to our lens is hard to watch this movie with. It was not uncommon for people to be engaged for lengthy periods of time and not see each other, or be it's married true. and not live in the same city. Or this whole concept of, oops, I met your sister and she's actually the one I want to marry and you got to just roll over and take it. Also not uncommon. So it's hard. It's like, while it's horrible and I hate that that was a place our society was in contextually, it wasn't out of norm at the time period. But would it make sense? That doesn't make it good. But but Would it make sense from a writer's standpoint as they're talking about and contemplating and storyboarding they did it back then. <laughs> this movie to say you have a vaudeville sister singing popular act on the West Coast and they want to make it in New York. Were they on the West Coast? I thought they were in the Midwest. Oh, I thought it was West. They said West, so I guess that was like I thought it was like Chicago oh. and Iowa and Oh, that, that probably kind of makes more sense cuz yeah. but either way, not in New York, not on Broadway, right. not in and it's like, oh, they're going to make their big dream come true. But one of them just happens to luckily be engaged to essentially an MC of a Broadway review show. Yeah. yeah. Then wouldn't you have had this idea a little bit earlier? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that totally. made no sense. And I thought they were just like, I mean, the audience will just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it basically should have been like they were 
friends when they were young. And so she wrote him to be like, hey, we're coming to New York. Got any place for us or something? You know what I mean? But The story was just so flawed in those yeah. regards, too. And I thought it was flawed writing-wise, like... I didn't like Jacques either, but I didn't like him because he was creepy and, like you pointed out, a close talker. (laughs) And rapey. And wore weird (laughs) lipstick that did not translate in black and white on the screen. (laughs) But we were just buying somebody saying, you didn't actually see him do bad things for them to hate Jacques so much up front. Or there was no context to that. You see it later in when he's trying to essentially tell Queenie, like, you need to sleep with me or be romantic with me because... I threw this party and I'm giving you an apartment and I give you diamonds or whatever. But we're just like, he's just the villain and we don't really see anything or hear anything villainous about him to dislike him until that moment other than he's like an unattractive, creepy dude. Yeah. Because yeah. I think Eddie, when I was talking about Hank being controlling, Eddie was the same way. Because it felt like they both, and why Queenie ran from them also, was because they were both trying to control her. Of like, you can't go out with him. You need to come with us. You can't do this. You can't do that. I feel like that's another reason why she like took off against them but but yeah i thought it was the creep factor to me was just very high on this movie (laughs) because even eddie i think it's creepy of course that we talked about that he falls in love with his fiance's sister which is weird but then throughout the dialogue in the writing he keeps saying you're the sweetest little girl he keeps calling her little girl and beautiful kid these are exact quotes i wrote down so that part it was just I have in my notes here the creepo meter is ringing off the charts because it's like the close talking the way they talk about women the way they even treat them because in the end Eddie gets the girl that he wants he ends up with Queenie it's almost like she gives in and is in love with him she gets he gets everything he wants and then poor Hank is kind of like off on her own now doing this new act with a new blonde who just replaces her sister a new stupid blonde the blonde that she was arguing with in the beginning in the beginning in the review or whatever yeah yeah, and they end up becoming kind of friends, but then you can kind of see they don't like. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, did you like the song, the Broadway melody that he sings in the beginning of the race? I liked it the first time I heard it. I was like, that was that was a good song. And then the problem, I think, too, I have this in my notes. They sing the Broadway melody too many times all the way through. Where it just keeps coming back and reminding me of that movie, which I enjoy, that thing you do, where it's like they keep singing the song over and over again, where it's like, you like it, then you hate it, and then it kind of comes back and you're like whistling it and stuff, so. But I love that it's like, that whole scene too, which is the opening scene, when he's like, I'm going to sing this song, gather around everybody yeah. in this room. <laughs> like, wouldn't that scene have been so much better, and the song would have felt, like, you were set up to just love this song, so you're like, ooh. And then I didn't. I was like, that was a. I was told I was going to like something that I did not. Yeah. It would have been better if he would have just started singing and everyone would have just sort of stopped what they were doing and been like, this song is so great. We need quiet. But no, they they, they stop everyone yeah. and focus Say, on I've this. got something. Yeah. Like, they should have had something better. <laughs> well, we'll come back to directing. I want to jump into technician real quick, which is where we talk about uh, cinematography, music, makeup, set design, and stuff, because that does. We're talking about yeah. the music. I did like that song um, the first time I heard it, but um, this didn't seem like the musical I thought it was going to be, like with Singing in the Rain. This felt more like there were songs in this movie Mm -hmm. that people sing as opposed to it being a musical. Mm -hmm. Nobody busts out into song because they're feeling an emotion. Every song that's played is because he writes the song for the play or with the review, so then he sings it 
in the beginning, then he sings it on stage, and then they're at a restaurant and somebody sings a song, and it's because the band is singing that song, not because of an emotion that, like, causes the song. So that's why I, th- I think it's interesting that this is technically a musical, when it doesn't feel like a musical to me. It just feels like a movie that has a couple songs sung in it. So to that point, they saw- shot a silent version of this movie because many theaters did not yet have sound equipment. Mm. So I bet you they shot it... To be played with music, like music in a traditional sense of a silent film, and for the audience who would be hearing what they were actually singing oh, or saying. So huh. that might be part of why it's also one of like the first movie musicals. So yeah. it kind of started a tone that I think evolved into what we all consider the classic musical genre or era film. Again, which I love. <laughs> just want to be clear. So when, so this is a good place for me to talk more about how it's like singing in the rain or very heavily influenced singing in the rain. Oh, you're so excited. Because you were meant for me, which I, I the only exposure I have to that song is from Singing in the Rain, which Gene Kelly sings it to Debbie Reynolds um, when they're on the soundstage and they have a, dan- a whole big dance sequence to it. I only knew that song from that movie. So when they started singing it in this movie, I was like, holy crap, this movie is, I mean, Singing in the Rain, like, Takes so much from this movie. The wedding painted doll scene, which also goes to our technicians, they shot it actually in um, two-tone Technicolor. So in the original version of the movie, it had red and green tones to it, and it was one of the first Technicolor pictures. And it was only that sequence, the wedding painted doll scene. But that is very much... there's There's a whole scene in Singing in the Rain that's very akin to that. There's a whole scene in Singing in the Rain that's very akin to, like, the Broadway melody review factor. And, like, it's amazing how much... Gene Kelly took inspiration from this movie. Thankfully, Singing in the Rain is actually a good story and a good movie and all those things. Um, But I was also really taken out of the movie with You Were Meant For Me because it's Eddie creepily singing it to Queenie when he's trying to force himself on her. And he's like, I wrote it for you. I wrote it for you. But then later in the movie, somebody else sings it, totally out of context, just spurts out into song like it was so oh oh it was in the scene where queenie and jock are are dancing at her birthday oh yeah and she says i hate this." and he starts singing it to her and she says i hate this song but earlier in the movie eddie implied that he wrote the song for her and it was brand new so how the fuck does jack warner know it like i think my rage was setting in on this (laughs) you blacked out during that part i was so i thought i was like i'm gonna love this movie but I didn't realize too the song that song was written for this movie, so it's an original song from this movie, and then it was performed also in Hollywood Review of 1929, one of the other nominees for Best Picture this year. Interesting, <laughs> but it was written for this movie. For this movie, yeah. But they used it in the other one. Yeah, there were moments too where the sound would dip out, and I understand that it's like one of the first movies, you know, with sound, with music, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But there were points where there's no ambience at all. So suddenly it'll cut something, and it could be like a person sitting there looking at something, mm-hmm. like looking at a watch or whatever it is, and there's just no audio, no fuzz, no room tone, nothing, and then yeah. it'll cut to something else, and then it's all back again. That drove me crazy. You could still see like them getting used to and adapting movies into being able to have sound, too, because yeah. yeah. the transitions will have, um, I can't think of the word, not a title head- card. Yeah, it was just different cards. Yeah, different yeah. cards to read to to transition you into the next thing. And so that was that was interesting to watch as you're you know as we're watching these in order. You can see the, the evolution. Yeah, the evolution yeah. of film, which that was more interesting than this entire movie in general. <laughs> <laughs> I did like um, like the shots. Oh no, wait, I didn't. <laughs> I was trying to get into like 
something that I liked, but no, these are all bad notes. I didn't like this the set design in the apartment. I thought was really bland, and it looked like a set. It was just very much like in the middle of a wall. There was just a, a picture of a painting, and you could tell like it was just there to break up the wall. Um, that drove me crazy. And then also like I couldn't tell if they were apartments or hotels because they kept. Sometimes they'd call them apartments. Other times they would call them hotels. That was of the era. You and, could live in hotels back then. Okay, because then it was like with room service, but then they called it an apartment. I couldn't tell like what was happening there. I hated the scene where they... I don't know if this is the wrong word. Where they gypped the oh, yeah. bellboys? Oh, yeah. And is that a non-PC word? Yes, they, they, oh, I don't know. Um, I hated where they... They it, stiffed him. They stiffed him. Yeah. yeah. What? They were Be- nice girls. Because they didn't have any money. That was the whole thing. But, they, but they had a whole, like, I know how to deal with this. Do you? <laughs> <laughs> because, it, because it was like they were saying, this is our... That whole scene to me was weird because they were moving in. They were basically going for lifestyle inflation. <laughs> like Or <laughs> yeah. like that 1980s thing where you had, like, your living room decorated, but you slept on a mattress on the floor. Like, they had that apartment to show that they were, like, big time, but they couldn't actually afford it because they didn't actually have the job that they thought they were going to have when they came to New York. And so it was like, we don't have any money, but we're in this really nice place, but we're going to stiff the door guy because we don't have any money. And I know how to handle this because I'm a rough and tumble girl who's been on the road. Like, it was a weird, it's that weird dichotomy of, like, they were trying to make it, like, oh, she's the sister who, like, knows how to handle shit, but they don't know how to handle the, the yeah. woman. Yeah. Like, I, that character, it's very weird. I would have liked the directorial shots of the um, of the show in and of itself, the review. There were some, like, nice wide angles. If the dancing had been better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, the choreography and... The only set I think I liked were the dressing rooms. That looked like a real dressing yeah, room that I could see. True. But the dressing on the sets as well, I didn't... Yeah. It was so crowded. The sets mm-hmm. constantly felt crowded. Like where the ship was, where Queenie was standing on the end and the guy was singing or whatever. Like that, the whole stage just felt so crowded constantly. There's even one scene <clears throat> where the one guy who's like... Dress like the Trojan, you know, like yeah. the yeah. singing guy, and they have all these women, yeah. like nudes with the long hair. These like I called them Lady Godivas. Mm-hmm. All these like Lady Godivas all over the stage, and you can see if you look in the bottom, like left hand corner of the screen, like two of like the just the the nobody Hollywood girls they throw in film were like looking at each other, and they had an interaction, and it's like they're filming. <laughs> we're rolling here. Yeah, yeah. And she was like that, and she made like a he, like, you know, like it was like so. Yeah. I was like, why would they? Yeah. Like, the director should be like, okay, we're going to do that again. Ladies. <laughs> Get the conversation out of the shot. Like, well, it moving, was a cute little... Taking that into directing. Uh, like, what did you think of the directing as a whole with that? It's a good transition into yeah, that. I Obviously, mean, with that, they sh- should have been paying attention. <laughs> I think I just liked the story so much that I was like, all right, let's say the directing's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you have a lot to do when you're talking about... There's a lot of moving pieces in these, you know... There's a lot of people moving around, and they yeah. have all that going on, so it's a lot to handle. But, yeah, they let things in that movie that you're like, it wasn't tight. It's like, did you guys have a conversation about what not to do when the cameras were rolling? You know, <laughs> like, That's the thing. I feel like the director didn't really direct the actors' positions well agreed. enough, where they're going to be. Agreed. They may have talked to them about character to get the performance out of some of them. But it felt like the actors never knew where the camera was, so they were constantly acting as if they were on a stage all the time, which mm. they may have, you know, like in a theater stage as opposed to like well, a I film wonder, stage. And I wonder if it had to do with, so Harry Beaumont, the director, 
more so was from the silent era. So he transitioned, but it was more, you know, that was more his like main era of career. I wonder if it just had to do with that transitional time of going from silent to talkies and for the actors too, of like, Oh, we used to be able to just talk about what, cause I'm, I imagine when you were filming a silent film, like, it was loud. People would talk. You yeah, were the cameras eating. were super True. loud. The cameras were super yeah. loud. So, like, nobody thought it. Whereas we mm. think about, like, when you're on a film set, it's quiet, rolling. Like, and everybody's yeah. got to be super quiet. And, like, you can hear a pin drop yeah. if it's not who's meant to be talking. Like, I, when you're ever on a soundstage and your phone accidentally goes off, you're the most embarrassed person on earth. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Yeah, because, I mean, so, before we even did, like, digital, when everything was filmed, you just ruined, you just cost the movie some money. Yes. If you made a noise on set, because now we can't record over that film again. Right. We have to, you know, do another take, so you just wasted film and just cost it money. Yeah. So I wonder if there's a little bit of that holdover of, like, the extras forgot this was a talkie, so they well, can't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's a really good point you're making, that it's just a learning curve for, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The professionals in the industry, as opposed to, I mean, I'm definitely ragging on them. Um, but, I mean, I don't think you're but, wrong because you would hope that the AD would have been like, ladies, quiet. Right. But, but you're true. Like, I mean, anything, like, then it makes me almost feel bad to, like, chop up the director because, you know, he's learning too. And this film is representative of the learning curve that films were making at that time, you know. So I, it makes it an interesting watch for that aspect of it. But, uh, so that's, that's nice that you're giving Harry Beaumont (laughs) (laughs) that moment. It is very interesting too, because MGM was the, the Goliath of the movie musical, right? Like that is the, when you think of most of the movie musicals you're a fan of, they were the Goliath studio of that genre. And this is the first movie musical for MGM. So that's kind of crazy because it's MGM's first all talking picture. Are you trying well. to make me like this movie? No, I'm not. I, I'm not. I hate this movie. But I just I I can appreciate from a a, a historical standpoint. That's true. I mean, like yeah. where it went. So I I don't. If you just take it at face value for where it is, it's a terrible fucking movie. Mm-hmm. And part of that is my 2018 lens and, like, the women are treated horribly. The men are all creepy and rapey. I mean, literally in the birthday scene, he takes her into the bedroom of the apartment to be like, now it's time for you to pay me back, honey. Like... I know, you just don't see that anymore. <laughs> I also hate how much she, like, loves the diamond bracelet that yeah. she's given. Like, I mean, you know, I really feel... It, it is. like In a 2018 lens, when we're really having female directors and you know it's hard the producers the actors strong women being depicted and like you know all these things that are happening it's hard to extract my feeling from that I still think I just wouldn't like this <laughs> but no, as a movie I wouldn't say I liked it I think now especially with all the points we've just been discussing makes me think more and more when we get to it um, about recommending people see it because I initially have no definitely not that's actually in my notes definitely not that's all I wrote no definitely not but now thinking about it this is a good film I think for like as we talked about how Wings was good for cinema files this one might be similar in like in film school because it is a great transitional movie from silent to talkies. talkies. And it being a musical, too. Like, yeah. Yeah. Use, I mean, you know. Because of the way they use the title cards. Like, especially from going from Wings to this, you can completely see using the cards and stuff. And we'll get into, um, when we do our next one, uh, on the All Quiet on the Western Front, the third movie also has a few of those title cards as well. So it's interesting that it's it's going to be a slow transition as we go through all of these movies. So for that, it'll be interesting. Um, I think some people should see it for that. But... Generally, I would say no, definitely mm-hmm. not. But anyway, 
Um, producing wise, as an overall film, what did you guys? Uh, well, obviously, we know some of us didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but now, after, throughout the discussion, now that we've had this chat and stuff, still just don't like the movie. No, I mean, I, <laughs> I, it, it's definitely like what you just said and spoke on, like as far as it being interesting, just watching the history of film evolve or, you know. Yeah. As an evolutionary piece. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if this movie needed to be made and produced and put out there so that MGM could make the, the musicals I love. Right. But, so this movie feels like a big giant error that they learned from me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and like you were saying, weren't you just saying it's the lowest... Rated? Yes. So uh, as of 2018, this is a lowest rated Best Picture winner um, on Rotten Tomatoes, which is an aggregate site you know that takes a bunch of different reviews and creates an overall percentage based on whether the film is seen as rotten or fresh. It has a 35% out of 100, which is very low. Mm-hmm. And this is the lowest out of all the Best Picture winners. Um, but I have also in my notes, I have this movie to me is like Avatar. When it came out, I'm sure it was revolutionary, but it has not aged well. And I think yeah. of it the same way, where it's like, you know, I think if people look back on that film, I think it was, when it came out, it was a bigger deal than the way it was it is now and the way it would be remembered over time. And so I don't really, I don't know how well it actually holds up. Um, yeah, but again, there there weren't too many movies that came out every year when this came out, so this may have been the tops, which is why it ended up winning this award, and because of what it did, being the first all-talking musical, I mean, it ended up making a profit of $1.6 million for MGM and was the top-grossing picture of 1929. I mean, it would be interesting, I mean, it, it would always be interesting to watch every nominee at yeah. the time, but it would, I wonder if it's just the musical aspect of it. You know, really is what really that was uh-huh. just so revolutionary, and then talkies, and then now you have sound. So a musical was just we're going to go out and see the musical. So if it was just a word of mouth thing or whatever, yeah. because how bad <laughs> did do the those others, other movies? How have did they to have be? to be to and, not make it? Yeah, and I do strongly feel like it's not even just about like I do think this was a poorly directed, produced, you know, yeah. written. The acting by Bessie Love I thought was really good. I thought the the actors did as good as they could with what they were given. But again, I don't know if the rapey close talking was a director's choice or an actor's choice, so that's hard to gauge. But Yeah, I mean, I would have rather had the the uncomfortable intimate kisses of mother and son. <laughs> From wings? I think we're going to get that and maybe all quiet on the Western <laughs> so stay tuned. Um, I, I, I do wonder, because the award ceremony... So, this movie came out in February of 1929. The stock market crash was October of 29, and these awards were held in April of 1930. So I do wonder if there was a little bit of the, like, let's uplift people factor in who they chose of, like, let's go for the the musical comedy light fluffy thing. I don't know. I don't know the plots of Alibi in Old Arizona or The Patriot. The The Hollywood Review of 1929 is basically a collection of musical acts. It's like... It's a little bit like the Hollywood Canteen movie. Like, it's more... It's a real story. It's not really... Yeah, it's more like a collection of, like... I'm sure there's some transitional bits in there, but it's more like this number and then that number, and now so-and-so to perform this. So I do wonder if they, like... If the the Academy voting membership kind of was skewed by picking the movie that was... I mean, A, it obviously was did really well at the box office Mm -hmm. and was popular. But also, like, if that kind of influenced, let's pick the thing that makes everybody, has made everybody happy, whether we like it or not. Like, obviously, it did well amongst its contemporaries. 
in what we think should be the best picture of this year. No, that's really true because, I mean, hey, politics is always going to play a part in movies in general. And now in the movie industry, I feel like the politics within the industry is what's really influencing it and this idea of... Um, campaigning for movies, but this yeah. probably wasn't happening back then. It was probably just the politics of the time of what you're describing. So, well, it, it very much was the, the politics of like the giants of the industry. industry. Louis B. Mayer versus David O. Selznick versus, or you know, versus Selznick versus who? Like that interplay of people was absolutely a factor. It was like it, there was, especially with the very early first few years of the Academy Awards, it was very much like, well, it's your turn now, man. Like it yeah. wasn't necessarily oh, we all agree collectively that was the best thing or the best person or whatever. It was Mary Pickford's really popular and we all like her and she's one of the 36 people who gets to vote. So guess what? Mary Pickford's going to win, you know? <coughs> and she did win this year over Bessie Love. Oh, how funny. <laughs> I actually know that yeah. because in our next episode I'll be discussing more about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah, so this the Broadway Melody was renamed eventually the Broadway Melody of 1929 because it spawned several sequels, including the Broadway Melody of 1936, the Broadway Melody of 1938, the Broadway Melody of 1940. And yeah, so they weren't traditional sequels per se, but they all have basically the same premise about a group of people trying to put on a review type of show. So I guess that's the one thing that they had in common, but... Mm. Um, with our last final two questions, do you think the film holds up today? And would you recommend this film for people to see? Nope. I absolutely do not think it holds up today. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Absolutely, 100% unequivocally, it does not hold up. Yeah. I don't know that I think people should watch it, but were you to find yourself being interested enough to try it, I don't think it's like get the worst two hours you're going to spend of your life. There you are the movies I'd like. Le- I I have wish I could get the hours back that I spent watching them. This is one of those where I'm like because I can appreciate what it represents in the in the history of film because I am a cinephile. I can give it my time. However, if you're not a cinemaphile and you're a casual moviegoer and you're just looking for a fun musical, don't watch this. Yeah. <laughs> Singing in the Rain instead. Yeah. No and no. <laughs> <laughs> so then that'll wrap up our discussion on the Broadway melody. That will wrap up this episode of the Envelope Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please let us know your thoughts on the film we discussed here today. We are a Cinema Squad production presented on the Cinema Squad podcast channel. You can reach anyone here at thecinemasquad.com. So just go there to email us, check out our bios, and keep up with the latest episodes. And please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. That is extremely helpful. So thank you, and good night.